0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Confluence Cast, presented by Columbus Underground. We are a weekly Columbus-centric podcast focusing on the civics, lifestyle, entertainment, and people of our city. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. This week, I spoke with Upper Arlington City Manager Steve Shoney. We discuss the role of a city manager, what makes Arlington unique, his time as development director for the city of Columbus, making investments for long-term benefit, addressing diversity in communities, and the new developments coming to UA. You can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Also, The Confluence Cast is on Patreon, Find out how to support this podcast on our website, theconfluencecast.com, or at patreon.com slash confluence. The Confluence Cast is sponsored this week by the Mid-Ohio Regional Planning Commission, or MORPSI, featuring stories about local and regional partners that envision and embrace innovative directions in economic prosperity, transportation, sustainability, and an inclusive central Ohio. Morpsey's transformative programming, innovative services, and public policy initiatives are designed to promote and support the vitality and growth in the region. For more information, please visit morpsey.org. Enjoy the interview. Sitting down here virtually with the city manager of Upper Arlington, Steve Shoney. Steve, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking wanted to, first of all, just get your bio, what your background is, where you came from and how long you've been with Arlington.
1: Yeah, sure. So I've been with Arlington for about two years, uh, actually a little over two years now. So I started the end of September of, uh, 19, uh, before that I was spent 16, six years as the development director for the city of Columbus. So there I had responsibility for code enforcement planning housing um, uh, economic development downtown development basically I, I used to say if, if uh, oh and then we had social service programs too so basically if you okay. were doing something to invest in um, the city in some way shape or form probably the Department of Development had something to do with it so I um, spent most of my career most of my career before that with the Ohio Department of Development and um, Started off doing international trade promotion, went from there to running the state's tax incentive programs, and then uh, running all of the state's business attraction program. I uh, did that for about 13 years. In between the two, I spent three years working for um, Ice Miller, uh, which is a law firm here in town, doing working in their consulting practice. I'm not a lawyer, but um, uh, doing I was doing consulting for businesses that were looking to get incentives or... Um, communities that were looking to improve their economic development programs okay you know really kind of um came to the city manager role in a pretty roundabout way a pretty non-traditional way uh for folks but it's been great it's been uh, a fantastic two years you know setting aside this little COVID thing which was a little bit weird but um, well i mean
0: most of the time you've been there that's what you've been living under
1: yeah exactly so it's it's you know as everybody as with everybody the last two and a half years have felt more like five and a half to 25 and a half somewhere in that range but it's been good we got a great community great team and and all things considered um uh, we have come through or coming through this storm and living you know learning to live with this um as well as any community around so it's been great
0: yeah and for those that don't know or aren't familiar with it and have been living under a, a mayoral structure for most of their lives can you talk about the role of a city manager and you're accountable to and what what it looks like?
1: Yep. So basically, if you have a city manager structure, city council hires a mayor. Um, city council hires that person to be the day-to-day manager of the city. So there is someone who carries the title of city council president and mayor. Uh, that's Brendan King, um, uh, who, uh, as any uh, appointed official should always do. I have to say, is the most amazing um, elected <laughs> official I've ever known. I I really do. I have a fantastic council. I have seven council members. They're all elected at large. Um, I actually have. I'm wearing my I voted today sticker Mm -hmm. because today's uh, November 2nd. So I have four of my seven seats on council are on the ballot today. Um, I have three incumbents running, one open seat, and four uh, folks who are who are running to fill uh, a seat as a a challenger, whatever term you want to use. this is one of those days where you know you sit back and you watch, and um i've joked it feels a little bit like i'm on some kind of strange dating show um (laughs) watching figuring out how how other people are going to pick um you know the people that are going to be really responsible for um overseeing me in my role uh for the next four years
0: so Mm -hmm. yeah And is it, they are running for particular seats. They're not, no,
1: no, they're all at large. So um, everybody who votes in upper Arlington today gets to click on four names. You know, I, I will say I'm really fortunate. I've got seven people running who, you know, I think are all running for the right reasons. They're, they're people who are dedicated to this community. They're not out trying to throw bombs over one thing or another. Um, and really kind of believe in upper Arlington as a, uh, place that should be open and welcoming and a great place to live and work and raise a family and all those wonderful things. And so I I really do feel very, very lucky to have a really good council currently. And then, you know, no matter how this turns out, I think um, I'm going to end up with a great council.
0: And so do you continue to serve at the pleasure of council just until it's done? Or is it uh, you're like a Football coach and it gets renewed every couple of years.
1: Yeah, I, I don't quite make football coach money. Um, if we're okay, talking college coaches, but uh, you know, um, it is. Yes, I have a contract. I've got a three-year contract, so it, it it's good because it gives some level of stability um, that you know I can go and push issues um, and try and drive the agenda forward. And you know, it's something that gives council a little bit of pause if they should decide that you know. On this podcast, I said one wrong thing and they decided, they wanted to fire me because I said, you know, they didn't like what I said about um, how the the election was going or something like that. It is something to give them a little bit of pause and allow them to make a reasoned, uh, force them to um, maybe make a more thoughtful decision than a passionate decision, which sometimes you find in elective office.
0: Right. I would imagine. Would you say that you're then the administrator of the city rather yep. than. How empowered do you feel to make policy decisions or at least make those recommendations and then have them approved by council? Yeah. I mean,
1: I, I, I love using kind of private sector analogies and, and this okay. one, and city manager, gov, former government works really well in saying, you know, I'm the CEO and they're more, they're my board of directors. I, I mean, that's really fundamentally how it works. And so you, you know, there will be things where, you know, you look at something and you say, look, ultimately this is a judgment, This isn't an administrative judgment about, you know, is it best to do something this way or that way? You know, this comes down to how much you value X versus Y. Well, that value judgment, that's really, really the elected officials role. That's what the people are electing them to do. It's my job to figure out what are the best options. And if there's a clear one, pretty much they give me the authority to run with it. If there's something where it's borderline thing and it's something that matters then typically i'll go to them and then obviously on anything with money i have to go to them right because they manage that budget yeah yeah
0: talk me through what you can use columbus as a comparison but i don't think maybe it's the best one but talk me through what's unique about arlington versus the other suburbs of of central ohio
1: yeah you know arlington what's unique about arlington is it's uh what well, you'll hear sometimes referred to as an inner rig su- inner ring suburb mm-hmm. um but it's a really big one so you know historically geographically we're kind of similar to marble cliff or grand or bexley or whitehall in that you know we're we're completely surrounded by columbus essentially and we're landlocked but we're thousand people it's a big footprint you know it is centrally located so that gives us the ability to do some things like have some pretty big development and host some pretty big development, but still be really close to downtown and really close to a lot of amenities and take take clearly take full advantage of our proximity to The Ohio State University and take advantage of being between the two rivers and things like that. But, you know, if you're asking kind of what makes us different, it's the combination of size, and central location. That's that's pretty unique in Franklin County. You know, really, honestly, in all of Ohio, when you look at the Cleveland, the Cleveland, Cuyahoga County communities, they all tend to be really small. It's very balkanized up there. Hamilton County tends to be, the big spaces tend to be a lot more township stuff. And, you know, there are a couple smaller communities that are similar, but really we're, we're pretty big for a community that's situated the way we are.
0: Right. Can you talk about what issues you tend to have to address or deal with that might be unique to Arlington, maybe because of the size, maybe because of proximity to the city?
1: Yeah. So, you know, being right in the middle of everything, it, it creates a number of things in terms of being on transportation corridors, you know, having 33 run along one side, you know, looking at the development of the Western lands at OSU the innovation, they're calling it the innovation campus, innovation district, you know, that's going to have a huge impact on us. You know, those are things that fundamentally will change how our residents get to and from where they're going. The development of quarry trails, again, right on our doorstep, huge impact um, on us. And so it does put us in, in a unique place. I think one of the things that's other, one of the other things that's really unique and really good is that our residents... Um, our residents of the broader community and our full participants in the broader community. So you'll find our residents in the important boardrooms, whether those are our corporate boardrooms or not-for-profit boardrooms around town, you'll find them in discussions about the things that are really impacting the community as a whole. So when we talk about things like um, the, the Link Us effort, the, the efforts to bring transit accessibility and real mass transit, to the columbus region number one we're positioned where it's really going to matter to us and two we're also positioned i think in a in a place that we should be influencing it and and really looking at how does it not only impact arlington but the how does it impact the community as a whole the greater community as a whole
0: got it talk about your time with the city of columbus as the development director and sort of the issues that you face there
1: and what you see is different now yeah well i mean i love that job and i love the city it was um an amazing time uh to be in that position because we were transitioning from um when i came in in gosh what would that have been 13 we're still coming out of the great recession um we're we are still bringing in vacant and abandoned so i had the land bank under me too okay we're still bringing in vacant and abandoned houses we're still getting things out of tax foreclosure we're we're i want to say we were up around like 1300 properties in the land bank and hmm. we didn't have a land trust yet and all those different things you know i was on something where uh, michael wilkos was from the the united way was talking the other day And he was Mm -hmm. talking about how one of the big challenges going forward is the, that we've absorbed all of that underutilized housing. We've we've absorbed that housing that was on the sidelines. Mm -hmm. And so when I look at, you know, what's changed today versus when I was there, um, that's different, you know, in terms of, um, the jobs, it's interesting you know, I, I'm running an organization that's about the same size. Um, huh. That's interesting. You know, because I had, it wasn't just economic development, right? It was, it was such a broad portfolio. But, you know, now I don't have, you know, I clearly don't have the housing and code enforcement issues that I had with the city of Columbus. But, you know, now I'm learning about what it means to have an effective fire department and police department.
0: And how is that structured in Arlington? Like, did they directly... Yeah.
1: Yeah. So um, I enjoy telling my kids periodically that I am the chief law enforcement officer of the city of Upper Arlington. Doesn't usually do much for me, um, <laughs> but I do, I do tell them that. So, you know, in the charter, yes, the police chief reports to me, the fire chief reports to me. Okay. And so, you know, we've got, do you have the
0: ability to hire and fire them as well? Or mm-hmm. is that a role of counsel? Yeah, but okay. no,
1: both, no, I have the ability to hire and fire them. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, you know, having that responsibility, having, you know, it wasn't just COVID that we went through um, last year, right? It was the social unrest and the mm-hmm. reckoning that came with the murder of George Floyd and and all that came with that and, and dealing with it both as, you know, helping the community talk it through and, and wrestle mm-hmm. with what it meant for the community and helping our officers talk it through and wrestle with what it meant for them in terms of how they felt they were being portrayed in, in society, and the media and, and their commitment to the vocation and safety of people and, and dealing with all that. I mean, it was tough. So given
0: the time that you were at the city of Columbus, you spanned both Coleman, the Coleman administration and the Ginther administration, right. want a little bit of insight on like what the differences were there, not necessarily about like, what were they like as bosses, but how priorities changed? for you uh and then also now that you've been away for a couple of years how do things seem to have changed just since you left
1: so you know it was interesting so you know i talked earlier about the evolution of where we went from having this you know having our biggest problem be vacant and abandoned housing and lack Mm -hmm. of investment in all these places and the need to kind of get stuff going so the need to get stuff going was really the fo- still the focus in the Coleman when, when we were with Coleman. And when Ginther came in, I think he saw, honestly, I'll give him credit, he saw ahead of the curve more than I did. That's why he was mayor and I was just a director. The need to start shifting to um, how do we think about not just getting the wheels turning again, but making sure that... They're moving everybody forward, right? Mm-hmm. How do we make sure that we're getting ahead of the curve on things like affordable housing? How do we make sure that we're thinking further down the road in terms of London? And, and Coleman, it wasn't a difference in desire. It wasn't a difference in belief. It wasn't a difference in any of that. It was more a difference in hey, the time. The time is different, so it's a time to f- change our focus. Because I Coleman would tell you all those things are important too.
0: Right. right absolutely.
1: But where he was, the timing wasn't right to emphasize those things. And then when when Andy came in and, and when Andy really got going, he was right to be saying, hey, we we have got to focus on housing, housing, housing. And so that's why we changed the rules around the community reinvestment areas so that we were tiering and it wasn't that everybody was getting CRAs without any kind of strings and without any requirements for mixed income housing. That's why we changed all that stuff. and and you know, got that ball rolling and, and pushed for investment, like the, the, um, fund that the Huntington bank, you know, we, we put that together with them. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's the biggest, that was the biggest change.
0: And now that you're outside, what do you see is different?
1: You know, it's interesting. So first of all, you know, a, when you step away, you make a point of not kind of putting your toe back in and, and letting folks do their jobs. And, Right. The, there was such a, you know, uh, I talked a little bit about the impact of social unrest and racial reckoning on Upper Arlington. Yeah. The impact of that and the impact of COVID on the city of Columbus, even as someone who has knows the people and knows the roles, I have a hard, I, I have a hard time as an outsider kind of getting my head around how big of, of a shock to the system that must've been. Yeah. Well, and still, yeah. And, and still is. Right. And so, you know, I think the emphasis now really is what I talked about earlier um, in terms of those. St- and I don't know the statistics that Michael Wilco said w- was I don't know him off the top of my head, but, you know, this idea that we've absorbed all of the housing that was sitting on the sidelines. We've absorbed all of those slack resources that were on the sidelines. Now, how what happens next? And that really is the big challenge. I mean, So you're seeing really good kinds of growth. I'm really pleased with how they're finishing out things around Crew Stadium. You know, I'm really pleased with the kinds of investments they're seeing. I, I, you know, I'm pleased to I'm really, really pleased to see them moving forward with looking at high, high capacity transit corridors and that code is looking at, you know, how do we expand um, on demand service and those kinds of things, because fundamentally, the Columbus region will succeed unless we force ourselves into failure. As we look at kind of what the future economy looks like, like, where, you know, people are looking, people are looking for affordable communities with lots of amenities. And for decades, that has been the Columbus story. We're the biggest college town. And that that's what college towns are, they're affordable places with lots of amenities. Mm -hmm. And so whether it's a work from home environment, or hybrid environment or whatever it is, this region is poised to succeed. You know, we're, we're resilient in terms of climate shocks and things like that. This is, we, we've got the things that people and businesses look for. We just have to be, whether we're willing to accept our success or not, we got to, we're going to have to. And, you know, when I talk about the willingness to accept the success, it's, you know, sometimes people don't like, not sometimes, people don't like change, right? Change is hard. It's a cliche, but it's something that we as a community have to um, get our heads around and really deal with.
0: When you were with the city of Columbus, what did you feel like you were most having to bang your head up against
1: a wall about? Oh, gosh, Um, I've blocked all that. Um, Oh, good for you. That's good. That's good. (laughs) It's been been two years of therapy,
0: Um, (laughs) uh, you know. Or maybe maybe this way, maybe what did you feel like it was hard to get people to understand about the city and the things that needed to be happening
1: yeah i, I think the hardest thing to get people to understand is that it's not a zero-sum game so mm-hmm. i i go back to um cover my meds when we were doing the project doing the deal to, to take them out to um where their headquarters is now mm-hmm. and the idea we couldn't get past this idea that some folks wanted to portray that we were somehow taking money from the schools. Mm -hmm. You know, we ran all the numbers in the world. We had all the data in the world and people just didn't want to accept that this could be a good thing because they, they didn't like the narrative that it could be a good thing for whatever reason.
0: I would say that maybe it's easy to understand there's this big tax break happening. Yeah. They don't see the additional benefit that comes down the pike as a result.
1: Well, and, and, you know, 100% of zero is zero, right? So, sure, we could stop giving tax breaks and you can get 100% of nothing. Mm-hmm. And when you do a 15 year tax incentive, your 16 eventually comes. Mm-hmm. And your 16 is a really good year. And if you look at some of the school districts down around Rickenbacker, you know, you you could name some school buildings the year 16 building, because if you look at the development patterns down there, those communities that offered aggressive incentives, Mm -hmm. their stuff built out really fast. And year 16 has come on all those buildings and they're paying a ton of money to the schools. And you look at other communities like Columbus, Mm -hmm. where it took the city longer to come around to being aggressive in their tax incentives, where there's a lot of land that's still sitting there vacant that, you know, the schools are collecting 100% of nothing. And, you know, the, whereas Southwestern schools or whoever it is down there, you know, maybe forwent, <laughs> had to forego 75% of something for 15 years or when year 16 hit, year 16 was a good year. So it was your 17 and 18 and then on in perpetuity. And it's hard to get people
0: to basically make that investment or forego that money, the 100 percent of nothing or 75 percent of nothing for something that's 15 years in the future, because it's so it's hard to wrap your head around. And it's hard to it's why there is a compulsory uh, Social Security system like it's hard for people to say, I'm going to need X, Y, Z amount of money when I retire. Or I'm going to want to retire, or something's going to happen to me. It's difficult to wrap your head around. Flipping that t- forward towards Arlington, what do you find yourself having to negotiate, or work around, or get folks to understand in order to provide for the community?
1: You know, it's it's an Ar- Arlington's an interesting place. It's members of the community are very engaged. They will focus in on big issues. They will want to really dive into the specifics of an issue. So, you know, the big thing we've got going on is we're um, going to be building Darlington's first ever community center. Okay. And it's going to be in a seven story building on the side of the old Macy's at Kingsdale as part of a three building mixed use redevelopment that we're, that Continental um, is doing the other two buildings. It's, okay. It's going you know the the community center portion of it's gonna be fifty four million dollars. It's what we've got budgeted. We're gonna have about fifty thousand square feet of leasable space in there. OSU has announced um their desire to take a little bit more than half of that.
0: And that's the commercial space, not the community center. Yeah, yeah. Yeah got the it. commercial space. So they'll put some
1: medical office, some therapy stuff in there and and really be partners with us in the building too. And help us make it more than just kind of a gym and a workout facility and a, a senior center for older adults. So as with everything, I mean, the big challenge is getting people to adjust to change, whether it's adjusting to the idea that, you know, we're, we're going to be more dense and we're going to have higher form buildings in the right places um, because that's what the market demands and, and, you know, that's how you bring new people into the community. And that's how you get people who are aging out of their current housing to stay in the community. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it is, it, it is really hard though, to get people to adjust to change. And, you know, the other thing that we talk a lot about is making Arlington more welcoming. You know, we, we are not the most diverse community in central Ohio. And that, that is something that, You know, there are a lot of reasons over time for that, but it's something that we've got to do a better job of, you know, going out and saying to people, look, we we, um, value everyone and we value every perspective and we want you here in our community. And, you know, so if you're if you're looking at private school tuition on the east side, you know, why don't you look at moving your family over uh, on the other side of 71 and and sending your kids here and, and living here?
0: And there is some historical reason for the diversity, right?
1: Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's, um, or lack of diversity rather. Yeah. Right. So yes, Arlington was set up with restrictive covenants that kept out, um, uh, people of color and, and, um, you know, Jewish people. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. just, it was part of how, um, high end exclusive communities were built a hundred years ago. Yep. And that's a legacy that we acknowledge and we acknowledge we've got to work to get past. Um, Arlington's a great community. We've got great things going for us, but we haven't always let everybody come in and take advantage of that, and that gives us some work we got to do today.
0: And how are you addressing that?
1: We're still working on it because you know, I'll be honest with you, I, I've looked, I haven't found another community in the country that's kind of overcome that legacy. Um, nobody's written that playbook yet you know, it starts with being honest about it and having conversations about it and not being afraid to say what I just said to you.
0: Absolutely. And that's why I prompted it a little bit of like, I want just say it, you know? Yeah, no,
1: it it just, it is what it is. I mean, you've just got to acknowledge it. So, you know, we put, not we city council put together a, um, community relations committee just over a year ago now. So they're just kind of getting themselves started to help us kind of figure out how do we do this? You know, mm-hmm. how do we become more welcoming? How, how do we tell our story in a way that's better? How do we invite people in? In you know, oftentimes people say, well, we just need to be more welcoming. I'm like, mm-hmm. and I'll say a lot of times you can be as welcoming as you want, but if nobody walks through the front door, you're not do- being welcoming doesn't do you much good. Right. So, you know, how do we get more people to be willing to and feel OK stepping through the front door in our life? Because I do think, you know, it is a community that really does welcome people. in. I, I, I am always struck by the warmth of the people here. Um, and it's just a matter of getting folks to come in and and understand who we are. We're not a community without problems. Every community has problems, uh, but we take them on.
0: Good. What else is coming down the pike in Arlington in terms of what, basically what's on the horizon?
1: Yeah. So there's a bunch of stuff on the horizon. Um, in a literal sense, the, construction on the Arlington Gateway project at Lane and North Star right on the edge of campus is going to be a big deal. It's going to be the tallest building in Arlington. It's going to be, they call it the Arlington Gateway for a reason, because it's right there at the gateway of, mm-hmm. for Upper Arlington. And it's you know—it's leasing up really well. They've got a lot of interest in the building. I think it's a great location. So you know, we've really made a lot of progress in terms of changing Lane Avenue. So it really does feel like the way in which we welcome people into our community. We're remaking the Kingsdale area so that it's becoming more the heart of our community. You know, that's why we're putting the community center there. And that will, that really kind of, sometimes I'll talk about, I want that to feel like, you know, if the city is a, is a house that needs to feel like the kitchen, like where real people really come together. Henderson road is kind of the next, uh, frontier for us that will be hugely impacted by what happens with us the, the link us initiative and efforts to bring um, high capacity transit to uh, the northwest side of columbus so mm-hmm. if there's a line that runs olentangy cuts across um, to get over to sawmill and whether that line runs across henderson or whether it runs across bethel um, that will have a huge impact on the bethel Road corridor, because if you bring access to high capacity transit that close to our northern border and that you know in terms of our commercial quarters that's the one that you know really hasn't been re-envisioned to think about what it having it become what it could be and if you if you drive it sometime and you look at it and you think gosh what could this be if you know we rethink some of these kind of tired uh strip centers and uh, we do something and there are some things where we can cooperate with the city of columbus to really address how that area feels it could be pretty amazing so the other big thing is we've got the company that owns charlie subs and bb bop bought the old uh the old Compuserve headquarters uh building that was purchased by tree of life church to try and build a school and they got in a long fight with the city about it and and eventually the city won and said you can't put a school there well Mm -hmm. um that, that entity bought the, the parent company of, of those two restaurants and some others, bought that, they're gonna move in there, they're gonna redevelop the site. That's a big thing that as we look kind of, as I look five, 10 years down the road, that's an area that I think is ripe for a lot of excitement um, and a lot of um, creative energy for us to put into. Uh, you know, we're, we're still absorbing basically all brand new schools for, except for our middle schools. Um, which is a big thing for the community. The high school is uh, really is a gem. I mean, it's amazing. So there's a lot going on, but you know, we've, we've got a lot to chew on right now with kind of getting this community center project going and, and a couple of the other economic development things we've got going. So we'll, we'll bring those in, we'll work those. There's a couple of other things, um, little smaller projects that are working sites that are a little more challenged around town, Um, and so those things are coming in. And then uh, the other big thing is, you know, how do we, and I alluded to this a little earlier about one of your questions in terms of how Arlington is different and how it fits into this broader context. How do we fit into things like high capacity transit? How do we fit into things like the greenways? How do we fit into rapid five? How do we connect to quarry trails? Uh, Because as that develops, that is going to be a regional gem uh, Mm -hmm. that our residents will, will demand to get to in a, uh, by more than just hopping in their car, right. They're going to demand they can hop on their bike or, or run or, you know, whatever their way over there. So there's a, I mean, there's a lot of great stuff going on. That's great.
0: And when is the community center set to open? so that should
1: open sometime in 24 um okay we're in in design right now so we're hoping to finalize the program um sometime over the before the end of the year but really kind of get locked down what's going to happen in the building and what floors are going to happen on right um uh you know uh, we're not going to have a rooftop pool it it would look really cool to have kind of the rooftop pool but it's it's not going to work how do we work that out where do we put various things in the building? We'll have all that settled by the end of the year, February, we'll get to kind of hopefully some schematic design that gives a sense of what it's really going to look and feel like, um, from the outside. And as you go through the building and then hopefully break ground sometime next fall, 18 month to 24 month construction period.
0: And then you've got a thing.
1: Then we got a thing.
0: I want to wrap this up by asking two questions. One, what is central Ohio or the Columbus region doing well? And then what is it not doing so well?
1: You know, I think one thing um that Columbus in Central Ohio does really well and it is continuing to do well is to bring in new voices and new ideas quickly and without a whole lot of stodginess for lack of a better term. So, you know, one of the things I, I saw this, I saw this when I was in Columbus and I, I continue to see it. Here in our community, and I see it in the broader community, where you know, if somebody comes in and they and they show good ideas and ability and willingness to work them, they're brought in. They're at the table, right? Okay. This is a community that's about what can you contribute. Doesn't mean it's easy. Doesn't mean people aren't going to push back on you, and it doesn't mean everybody gets a seat at the table. But if you come in and you show that you can work with other, others and you can add value to the discussion, there's a seat at the table for you. And I think that's one of the things that if this community continues that, we'll make everything else work. Mm -hmm. You know, in terms of what do we not do well? I I think this is something that every community struggles with. The pace of change um, that we are facing right now is so rapid that it's a challenge. And I think the other thing that nobody's doing well right now is figuring out how you return back to kind of um, conversations where everybody's level, energy level from a negative energy level is starting at three instead of seven. And I think, you know, that'll be another key to success if we can find ways to keep bringing people to the table and bring them to the table, you know, where, where they're starting at a three, you know, every, everybody, look, if you're good, you're starting with a, you always got a little bit of edge to you, right? There's
0: going to be skepticism. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But it's getting people, you know, when we see bad behavior and lack of civility among people, you know, one of the things I've said is that whether it's COVID or it's the social unrest or it's all of it or whatever, whatever it is, you know, whereas before you'd have one person in a room starting at a level seven, you know, two people starting at five and everybody else is starting at three or below. Everybody's coming in the room at seven. And you know, if we can find a way to kind of have these big conversations with everybody back to that normal spread of the spectrum, we'll be able to get a lot more things done and really make sure that, you know, I I, I firmly believe that Upper Arlington can be um, the uh, model of a community of kind of an inner interrig suburb, successful community. Um, and I firmly believe that Columbus should be the model of what a mid-sized region looks like in this kind of distributed workplace environment.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Steve, yeah. thank you for your time.
1: Oh, no, I love doing this. Um, uh, I love talking. I appreciate the work that you do and everybody down at underground. And and I think I, this isn't, this isn't just a suck up. It's partially a suck up, but I, <laughs> I do think that having to what I said at the end, having groups that are willing to come and facilitate conversations and have conversations, um, is really important to the civic culture so i appreciate um everything you guys have everything you're doing and everything um that walker and the team at underground have done since since he started that crazy venture a few years back so well thank you very much
0: thank you for listening to the confluence cast presented by columbus underground Again, you can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Please rate, subscribe, share this episode of The Confluence Cast with your friends, family, contacts, enemies, your favorite city manager. If you're interested in sponsoring The Confluence Cast, get in touch with us. We can be reached by email at info at theconfluencecast.com. Our theme music was composed by Benji Robinson. Our producer is Philip Cogley. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. Have a great week.